for it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and John Paul and Soundboard blasting our ears out with that awesome song, Alive in the Spirit, and two very, very special guests in studio with us tonight, Hal and Kelly Reed. So blessed with you folks to be with us tonight, and uh, I think one great uh, asset of this radio station is to share the story. Jesus shared stories, and as Catholics, let's face it, I'm hand in the ear, often we get really conceptual, and there's a place for being conceptual. There's a place for communicating catechism, truths, and documents, but Jesus spoke in parables. He told stories, and... um, It says the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. It's their witness. It's their testimony. And each of us give witness to that, give witness to Jesus and life, death, and resurrection and Pentecost. It's woven into each of our journeys. So we want to invite you tonight as we're sharing these stories, as the Reeds are here with us tonight to share their story, to kind of look in the mirror also and consider what is God's unveiling story in your life? And we point this out again and again, and we know it's a challenge for us Catholics, but Revelations 12, 11, first of all, do we not see the work of the enemy? We do. We see the enemy active when we read the papers in geopolitics around the world. We see it in our nation. We see it um, in our communities. And which of us don't experience that work of the enemy in our marriages and families? And so we should ask the question, how do we defeat this enemy in our lives? And Revelations 12, 11 makes that really clear. They defeat the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. So the Holy Mass and the word of their testimony. So tonight, as you're hearing these great stories, and of course, last week, if you want to hear the, the beautiful story of the Cronins, uh, go to Ignite Radio Live and you'll hear many other stories. Uh, but tonight, we're very blessed to have the Reeds share with us their story. And as you're hearing them and we open our hearts to what God is speaking to us through their journey, let's be mindful that God is fully alive and active in us, in your story. And uh, maybe there's a place appropriately for you to pray about who are you meant to share it with? Maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody in your own family, you're meant to share what God is doing in your life, because it is a journey, and it is a process. So, why don't you join us tonight, right now, in prayer, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we're just going to keep it real. We need you. We need you, God, and we, uh, we acknowledge that. We acknowledge, Lord, that in our poverty, you are the provision Help us not to be afraid of acknowledging our poverty, those places in our minds and hearts, our physical lives that are in need of you, and to call out to you as we do right now, each of us listening right now, calling out to you, Lord, who are a loving Father, a giving Father, who provide for our needs. And in a special way, Lord, in this moment in history, with a lot of confusion, a lot of spinning clouds, a lot of things happening, we open our our hearts in particular to be more aware of your love for us, your profound love for us, that you're working through our journey and to receive that, Lord Jesus, and to have confidence that you're working it out. Whatever we're going through right now, that you are Lord, which means you're overall, you have dominion, you're working it out. We give you permission to do that, Lord, and uh, we do unite our prayers in this month of Mary as we pray. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're very, very blessed to have Hal and Kelly Reed in the studio with us. How are you guys doing tonight? Great. Great. Thank you. 
So tell me honestly, did you tell your kids that you're on tonight, or did you rather they not listen? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a couple of them know, a couple of them don't. Okay, so. awesome. Well, just to set the stage, folks, we have known Hal and Kelly uh, for five years since we've been here, and they've really been a tremendous grace to us and witness to us. In fact, I think the first experience of coming to this new place, my wife, of course, a native of Erie, having lived there 42 years of her life. 43. Coming to this foreign land. Yes. And uh, just the kind of friendships that we were able to connect with right away. But she came back with tears in her eyes saying, it's the first time I felt a, a taste of home and a connection to somebody here. And she had seen Kelly in the store. So there was a bond there <laughs> right away. He stole my story. Oh, did I? Yeah, that's oh, okay, sorry, though. I didn't expect that. No, but I'm so. just, I'm going to just piggyback on it. So, yes, uh, leaving my hometown of 43 years and right away felt great warmth and welcome from the Reeds. Um, just the female connection, obviously, with Kelly right away and uh, just, I mean, if you could see her right now, you you would know what I'm talking about. And those of you who know her, just her smile and the way that the Lord just looks through her, her eyes is just quite evident and you feel it. Um, so it was at Sam's Club and I was just so confused and kind of ticked off that I didn't know the setup of this new Sam's Club because I was so accustomed to the one in Erie, PA and just, you know, again, being a native and it's mm. a smaller town than Toledo and you know, one of 12 kids, so you run into somebody all the time. And it was at that Sam's Club, months into us having moved, and I saw for the first time somebody that I knew, and it was Kelly Reed, (laughs) and I got so emotional. She was probably (laughs) like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with this woman? But anyway, I did, I came home, and but just, I look at you even to this day, five and a half years later, and you are still a symbol of God's faithfulness and goodness to us. So thank you. So let's pronounce and in a Hal's moment awesome a snapshot too. of where we're at right now. So Hal and Kelly are coming up on their 40th anniversary, June 2nd, so into next year. And um, they uh, have been married, obviously, for those 40 years. They have eight beautiful children. They have eight grandchildren. And they are not all, They have not always been the paragons of virtue that maybe most of us know them to be. And uh, I, I tease because none of us have really come out of the <laughs> right. womb that way. So, But we're going to hear their awesome journey tonight. And it, it moves me because they bring such realism and honesty to that that invites us all to see that God is a God of miracles. He's a God of ongoing transformation. So with no further ado, Kelly, uh, ladies first, share with us a little bit of your backstory. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, it's great to be here with the both of you and it's been fun um, kind of reminiscing with Hal as we kind of talked about what we're going to say tonight. Um, I grew up in Oxford, Ohio, and I'm the oldest of five children Um, My mother is a devout Methodist, and my father is a fallen away Catholic, and I've been blessed to still have my parents. My Mm. dad is 92, and my mom's 87. And um, Characters, I'm sure. (laughs) 87 (laughs) and 92, yes. Um, So I grew up, went to public school. We went to Mass every Sunday, but we never really talked about our faith. We never really shared anything at home, and... For me, I saw God as the guy with the big stick, I mm. like to say. You know, I was very fearful. And my, mm. my goal in life was not so much to get to heaven, but how do I stay out of hell? Mm. You know, right. whatever I need to do, just tell me what mm. I need to do. But in the course of my childhood, um, my dad's mom, my grandmother, and my father's sister, who is also my godmother, And they live in New York, and we were able to go there um, in the summers because both of my parents were educators. So we spent our summers at the beach with our cousins, and it was really an idyllic 
childhood, and it wasn't really until I got married that I realized that not everybody had the summers, summers off. off. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother and subsequently also my godmother in the summers. And um, it was through them that I developed a real devotion to the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. And I remember every August going to the Miraculous Medal Novena with my grandmother. And so going to Mass for nine days. And and I just loved having that time with her. But I remember vividly one, one year, um, one summer, I was probably maybe 10 or 11, sitting in church and, and listening to the priest speak about the Blessed Mother and realizing maybe for the first time that, you know, Mary was, she was just like all of us. She was human, and yet she was also the mother of God. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she really is the mother of God. So, like, she could put in a good word for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's kind of my, I know it sounds kind of, kind of silly, yeah. but but that's where my devotion started. Mm. So it was really, awesome. it, it's a journey through the Blessed Mother who would eventually lead me to the foot of the cross and her mm. son. Awesome. Thank you. Hal, your backstory. Well, I grew up um, in Euclid on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, my parents and my three sisters and I lived in the downstairs of a duplex, which was my my mom's parents. And um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked downtown, so he could get up and get on the bus every morning. Uh, I had two older sisters, one younger, went to public schools, went to CCD, and we were we were pretty much a rules group as well. We went to church every Sunday and every holy day. We went to confession every month. We went to every CCD class for 12 years, even when they did the rainbows and the butterflies and things <laughs> for four years. Uh, but it was all about the rules, and, and we always, always knew it was right. Um, I'll share a quick story. I had a paper route for about six or seven years before I went off to college. Awesome. Every morning, got up early in the morning. One morning on the way home, there was a uh, you know these square plastic metal cart, uh, square plastic cartons that you bring milk mm-hmm. from the dairy mm-hmm. to the grocery store in. Sitting in the middle of the road, not far from home, I pick it up on the way home. I bring it home, and my dad walks, wakes up, and he walks in. He says, "What's that?" He says, well, Dad, Dad, this was in the middle of the street just right down here. I, you know, we live on this road. I didn't want anybody to hit it. I didn't want it to be just – I didn't want anybody to swerve and get in an accident. I brought it home. Maybe I'll just put my albums in it. just a plastic, <laughs> it's a perfect fit. plastic milk carton uh, container. And he looked at it, and he picks it up, and he looks at it. He goes, that's uh, from Euclid Race Dairy. That's what they delivered the milk to the A&P store at the corner. There's a bunch of them behind the store up at the corner. And I said <laughs> – so I was going to go back to my story about I didn't want anybody to get into a wreck over it or anything, but I just quietly stood up. <laughs> I picked up the milk carton. I walked 10 minutes up to the corner. I set it down behind the grocery store. I walked back down. My dad never said anything else to me. My mom never said at all. That's how we grew up. Mm-hmm. You, you always knew what was right, and you always knew you were expected to do it. That's uh, awesome. Very so cool. there was, you still got the points for that, Hal, because you had a good heart. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> just so for those who are listening now, albums were another form of musical media. <laughs> so my kids would say, "Where do you get those large DVDs from?" <laughs> CDs but uh, are huge. just if you recall any, and if not, fine, Hal. But what what was one of your favorite albums from those days? Those days, uh, it was super long ago. I was a big Chicago fan. Yes. Okay. So the second wow. Chicago, the Silver album, was probably one of my favorites. Okay. Color my world. And he awesome. didn't even have to think. That's yeah. great. Like right there. Yeah. With that. So. Um, Trace for us the journey of how you met. (laughs) 
Well, we both went to Miami University. I rather Uh reluctantly because my father was a professor, so I had a fee waiver and um, had to pay for school. So, oh, was it fifty bucks back then? Come on, (laughs) really? Oh my gosh! Don't we wish? Coupon? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so um, we did that, and we met at a at a party. Um, Hal was a senior, and I was a sophomore, and he hung with a group of guys. Um, just great guys, but I was totally intimidated by them. And my roommate happened to be dating one of those guys. So she kind of encouraged me to go to this party. And so that's where we met. I have to ask, fraternity, sorority, do we have names? <laughs> so so the, the, the truth is neither one of us were either. No, okay. no, no Greek alliances between okay. us now. There are kids that went there have all kind of been part of that, but yeah. we weren't. It was well, okay it was, to be independent back then. It was expensive and, yeah. you know – I didn't have the yeah. money to to do it, so it, it was fine. I knew a lot of girls that were in sororities, and um, so you know. okay. So you were at this party and you were intimidated. Where was like the kinetic connection? Like what was, was the, it right like, away? The, and you can defer. You can yeah. plead yeah. the fifth at no, any time was, you want I think to. I'm you know, going to plead. Yeah. The fifth. No. Okay, I'm not sure no. how kinetic it was. I think but. there was probably some alcohol involved with that. Okay. But anyway, which was um, legal at that. That's fine. It was legal because you know at 18 you could. Drink three, two beer, mm. and um, so I think she's she was trying to escape somebody. So I, I kind of got you know chivalry was involved that. with this. So, right. Absolutely, I was helping. I was helping. Yeah. What so. a guy! You were doing what <laughs> was right. Then we exactly. just kind of um, you know we we spent some time talking and getting to know each other, and the fact that both of our roommates were. You know, they were developing a pretty serious relationship, and they did end up getting married, mm-hmm. and we were all in each other's weddings and stuff. But um, that we met on April Fool's Day, so if that tells you anything. Wow. Yeah, that's memorable. And then, you know, then school was out for the summer and came back uh, in the fall and pretty much dated for a semester and then did a long-distance relationship mm. for about a year, got engaged, and then got, got married a year later. And so... I just cringe when I think about it right now because we didn't know each other. Mm. <laughs> we were young and dumb. We had only oh spent a few gosh. months together. Really. Oh, my gosh. And yet, you know, th- thank heaven for that. Um, right. By God's grace. By God's grace. It's been an incredible journey. Just mm-hmm. an incredible journey and, and so blessed. But uh, we had no clue what we were getting into. <laughs> so, so paint a picture for our listeners, probably the 70s, am I saying? You guys yeah. were on the campus? In the 77, 70s? Yeah. April okay. 77 we met. Yeah. So um, just what was, the, what was the culture like on campus? What were the morals? You know, help us understand a little bit of, there was a big shakeup, right, in the late, late 60s and 70s, the sexual revolution, the pill, uh, a little bit of anti-establishment, anti-institutional stuff. Um, yeah. Like, do you recall a little bit, if you're willing to speak, about, you know, your expressed respective regard for rules, in your case, Hal, mm-hmm. and faith, and certainly uh, introduced to our Blessed Mother, Kelly. Um, you know, on campus, how were you affected? How were you experiencing, looking back now in particular, how was the battle and the challenge playing out there? Well, it it was there. I'm not sure that um, I was quite as aware of the impact that it could potentially have. What I see now with what my children experience when we go down and and see them I, I am just appalled I mean I can't even believe what goes on on college campuses these days 
But I think with every generation, you know, there's always, you know, when you're young, you're you're just very um, enthusiastic about your independence and wanting to do whatever you want to do and kind of. So there was there was a lot of stuff that went on. I suppose my eyes were opened to things. I was fortunate because I had some close friends who were, you know, good people and they weren't wild or crazy. I went to mass every Sunday. Still, mm. you know, yeah, I miss some of those. I, and even, <laughs> and, and, but again, like I said, I knew it was right and wrong, and I made the decision to do things that were wrong, mm. just because it was I could yeah. right. I'm in college, and I it was the time, and I. I would know all along that that wasn't right, that mm-hmm. wasn't right, this wasn't. But we we went ahead and did this or that and, and went through our college days. And I, I didn't make Mass every time, and I certainly didn't go to confession. So that was – I fell away from that, you know, that little bit of, of teaching from my folks real easily. But um, mm-hmm. it, it was not as obvious as it is on campus today, but it was it was a pretty decadent place to be. Mm-hmm. So 1979, we'll fast forward, and certainly if there's anything you want to dive in and color in, please do so. So you're married in 1979, and Kelly, you've shared numerous times through Theology of the Body talks and those sorts of things that certainly a key moment in your life was in 1990. Uh, And of course, for our listeners, uh, purported revelations, uh, apparitions of Mary and Medjugorje began in 1981. And so this would have been fairly new, and I recall around that time, Life magazine, various magazine stories uh, that at that time really were very intriguing, you know, that the Blessed Mother's appearing to children in Croatia behind communist lines, and, you know, people who aren't even Catholic are going there, and they're having these conversions, and those are from secular media and press. So I was really struck also, but just for our listeners to understand at that time and even now, I believe, to some extent, the purported apparitions are continuing, but so Kelly— how did you end up in Medjugorje 11 years into your marriage? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'll try to do this in a nutshell. We got married. Uh, we were both in graduate school. I was teaching. Hal was working in public accounting. And, um, you know, we had our lives planned. We knew exactly what we were going to do. We were going to have children, two kids. We are going to have a boy and a girl didn't really matter what order, but that was it, you know. <laughs> Your order the, was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I think a lot of people do, a lot of especially um, young, engaged couples, married couples that we've worked with over the years, you know, the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with planning your life. But, you know, even though we would practice our faith and we would go to Mass every Sunday, we never really talked about it. Um, faith was so private. It was so mm. private for each of us that it was um, – not even something that we would share. As intimate as you would be with your spouse, you, it was just something that was just really, really difficult for us to talk about. Mm. So we ended up having, right on cue, you know, a girl, and then 18 months later having a little boy. And, our, you know, we had, we had our perfect family and, um, you know. Give us names. Girl. Uh, okay, so Jennifer is our okay. oldest, and Chris okay. Christopher is, is the next. And so, you know, life was set. Hal had gone to work for the Andersons by that time. I had resigned from my teaching position because I was going to be a full-time mom. Pause and on that. Do you have your train of thought? I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I think that point, you went very quickly into staying at home. What were the factors in choosing to be a stay-at-home mom? Well, because a lot of people did then, mm-hmm. and um, I had the opportunity to, to – in this day and age, it really is a luxury. 
Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom until we were all in school, and it was just, you know, there were a lot of people in our neighborhood. And I think it was expectations. I mean, okay. I think you think that thought that people expected. You maybe thought that we expected. I expected it, um, but yeah. that's just the way it worked. Okay, it, everything worked in the in the right vein for us. So we had the two, and yeah, and I know. I really found that. Um, Staying home was not cracked up to be all that it was, at least for me. I, I so admire um, women that that just have that heart for, for little kids. I always say, and, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way, because <laughs> I, I truly, I love every one of my children, obviously, and my grandchildren, and I wouldn't trade any of them for the world, but I really think that my purgatory is going to be a preschool. I really, <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It's so, so honest. This I is, love it. This is yeah. why I have taught teenagers because I love teenagers, but I just am not really good with the little kids. Well, we did consciously, though, decide to have a third. Well, we decided because, you know... Give him a a chance here. Finally finally caught my breath and thought, okay, um, you know, we're going to do something permanent because that's what everybody does. You have your two kids and you're done. And again, I'm not judging anybody that, that did that. We didn't know. I mean, we... We kind of knew what the Catholic Church said about contraception and sterilization, but, you know, we were well-educated, and we thought, you know, we're going to make up our own minds. We never mm-hmm. even really considered that. And um, so we thought, well, you know, maybe three years later before we were going to do something, we'll just see. Maybe we'll just have one more. And I just never had a, a problem getting pregnant. So we had a third. <laughs> and then um, a, li- a little girl, Mary. Jennifer so she, Christopher Mary. So she's named after the Blessed Mother. And then, um, and then to even it out, we had one more. But before we had this fourth child, um, we had decided we are done. We are absolutely done. And I said, I never want to be pregnant again, ever. <laughs> so I've... We had decided we were going to do something very, very permanent, and um, God intervened big time. Wow. In the course of that, um, I had met a friend of mine, and this is probably part of the reason why we had Mary and who would be Alex at the time, and she, this is when we lived in Michigan, and she was um, just a very faith-filled, just an incredible person, Mm. and... um, very influential in my faith journey. And she had the guts to say to me, you know what, if you're, con- if you're contracepting and that you could be jeopardizing your soul. Well, I was obviously, first of all, that's none of your business. <laughs> Secondly, I was offended and very defensive, but it still struck a chord with me and it made me kind of really start mm. to think about that. And um, well, I didn't really do anything. Right, because even so, we had made a decision at- you know, yeah. as we were going to have Alex, that we were going to do something permanent. So. Yeah, but it was still, um, she had planted some seeds with me, and she had also told me about Medjugorje, which I mm. couldn't even pronounce, and that the Blessed Mother was appearing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, so I have this devotion to the Blessed Mother, and I had never heard of Lourdes or Fatima. I'm a cradle Catholic, mm. you know, but I knew nothing, and I thought, oh my gosh, Mary's appearing. I need to go to this place. And I just felt this interior calling to go. But it was crazy because we had four children at at that point. Alex was a baby. Um, We had moved back to Toledo from Michigan through a course of, you know, different circumstances. The permanent thing that we were going to do never happened. And um, 
I thought I need I need to go on this on this trip, but we didn't have any money. Um, I didn't have a passport. You know, there were just so many things. And I said to Hal because he's Mister Logic. I said, <laughs> you know what? I really feel like I need to go on a pilgrimage. And I thought I don't want anybody to know I'm going on a pilgrimage because they might think I'm like a Jesus freak or something. <laughs> I, I can't let them know I'm a holy roller. But um, Hal goes well. I think if you really feel you need to go, you should go. <laughs> I'm like, well, we don't have any Not money. Not as logical as yeah. she was hoping. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Did that no. floor you when he said yes, that? Yes, it did. Because um, we had been saving some money for some living room furniture. We didn't have any furniture. So I took that money, and I, I bought a ticket and went with a group out of Toledo. And um, I got my, my passport in record time, and I went with 40 people. I knew none of them to wow. a communist country. I had to fly over the ocean. I was terrified to fly. I'm up at Detroit. I was laughing right now. No, I'm at Detroit Metro, and I'm watching them put a car on our plane. I'm like, this plane. How's this going to fly? I know. That's what I was thinking. They're hooking it up to the engine. What's happening? I thought, I'm, I'm never going to see my family again. That's really what I thought. But so. was Alex a year at that point? Not even. Yeah. Well, so Alex was even. less than a year. The good news is, is Jennifer was always very capable. So she was there to help me. But she <laughs> was gone, Jennifer. I think, eight days. I As think a five-year-old. As yeah. a five-year-old. She was always very capable. So, uh, but it was... Raise a glass to Jennifer. Yeah, it was... Here, here. The bottle is up. Yeah, bottle yes. so, but, uh, no, it was a great... It was a long week while she was gone. Um, but there I was kept... other things that she's done since then that it probably, you know, matched that. So <laughs> Well, I kept thinking that... Why is my husband letting me leave? I thought maybe he's having an affair. And wants me out of the country. I, I noticed more. That I noticed so more quickly. Bombay Sapphire in the closet. Oh exactly. So I I went to this place and um, again I'm a cradle Catholic, but a very very poorly catechized one. We we prayed the rosary all the time. I didn't even know how to pray the rosary. I knew it was a bunch of Hail Marys, but honest to gosh, I didn't even know. That's awesome. And um, just kind of in a nutshell, because I had some amazing experiences when I was there, because I truly couldn't figure out why God had called me to this place. Mm. But it ended up being the Sacrament of Reconciliation mm. that just changed my life. Um, I would have called it the dreaded sacrament, but it is the sacrament of conversion, um, just the sacrament of God's incredible love and grace. And it was through an experience there. It was the second time I went to confession in Medjugorje because the first time everybody goes, well, you need to go to confession while you're here. And I'm like, well, I don't like to go to confession. <laughs> but um, but I did, and I had my usual laundry list of sins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last night we were there, I was sitting at Mass, and um, because the Croatian mass, by the time you pray the rosary and they do all the things they're going to do, it's like three hours Mm -hmm. long. So I took a book to read that night during the homily because I couldn't understand Croatian. And um, something that I was reading, that it was a book of homilies by a priest, and I cannot even tell you who it was. So it was just, it was the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. spoke to my heart, and I knew I had to go to confession again. Um, but I wasn't going to go that night because we were leaving the next day. But that night I had a backpack full of rosaries that I had gotten for people. So I was staying to have religious articles blessed. And so by the end of the evening, there were very few people around. And I was leaving the church. And the confessionals at the time were kind of temporary structures outside of the church. And I walked by. And the priests would put the language that they spoke on the door And there were two lights on, and there was hardly anybody else around, which was really kind of strange. And I walked by 
the first door because I just felt that hound of heaven, you mm. know. And the first sign said Polish, and I thought, oh, good, I'm off the hook. <laughs> Shoot. And the second one was English. Of course. <laughs> so I just took a breath, and I opened the door, and I went in and knelt down, and this priest put a crucifix in my hand, and I started my confession. And basically, something that I had never confessed before, um, it was contraception, mm-hmm. you know, that we had just, and all the reasons why we mm-hmm. did it, because, of course, I had to justify my sins, and um, it was really something. I suppose it was a mystical experience of sorts. I don't know. I'd never had anything like that happen before. But it was almost as if I lost all sense of time and mm. space. And it was just like, woof, God just placed it in my heart. He placed truth in mm. my heart. And, of course, m- my brain has been trying to catch up with it for the last, you know, almost 30 years yeah. now. But... This desire in my heart, I knew, I knew, I couldn't even articulate it, but I knew that my life was never going to be the same, Mm. and our family was never going to be the same, and that there was going to be no more contraception, we were not going to do anything permanent, that that we needed to, not that we had to have more children, because I, I remember the priest saying, God isn't saying you have to have more children. He just wants to be a part of your marriage. Mm, beautiful words. And um, so I suppose it was my really my first introduction to theology of the body, and I didn't even know that. Mm. So um, I came home. And I... <laughs> After being gone eight days, and I got the four <laughs> kids, and the house was clean and the laundry sure. done. But, oh, oh, no, no, it was. You can, you, you can be sure I don't it know was. what it was like the seven days prior been, yes. to that. It's a little suspicious. <laughs> but so, so, you know, I don't know what the other first words might have been out of her mouth, but very close thereafter were, you know, we're not going to do this contraception thing anymore. Mm. So uh, it, was a, it was an interesting conversation. It wasn't much of a conversation because, as I said, I always knew what was right and what was mm-hmm. wrong. And so when somebody tells you what's right and you know it's right, you just kind of nod your head, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. go right ahead. So, so we had, we're going to do this natural family planning thing. Obviously, we weren't really Well, we didn't good take the class. <laughs> I just thought, oh, I, I got this figured out. I know, I know what we're doing. And, and um, yeah. the other piece of that was there was really no reason why we would say no to God. I mean – we never took fancy vacations when the kids were little. Uh, you know, we didn't drive fancy cars. We had, you know, the Catholic salt vehicle, you know, the big, big <laughs> van. <laughs> yes, for many, many years. And, I mean, we've had a very blessed life. But this was a point in our, in, our, in our marriage where, you know, things were really tight. And we thought, okay, we're, we're not anxiously going to try to have more children because our plate is very full with the four that we have. And we were very blessed with two boys and two girls and um, and yet God. But had, every two years since then, we had God kids, had right? other plans. You can kind of tell when the conversion was because after that, the kids came every two years. <laughs> and again, I I am embarrassed to say this, but I cried mm-hmm. every time I found I was pregnant, and it wasn't tears of joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like so God. Honest. I'm like God. It's I'm real. trying to. I'm trying to live my life for you, but. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> of course, now I look back and I think, oh, God, God's plan for our lives, regardless of what it is, is perfect for our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't trade it for the world now. And people who, who know me and knew me then and how much I struggled being a mom of little kids, and I, I struggle with postpartum depression too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of stuff tough, going on. Right? 
But I said, if I knew then what I know now, I would have had more children. Mm. Wow. If, if God would have blessed us with more. So mm. anyway, I just see these souls are just, you know, they're created for eternity. And mm. we are simply given the opportunity to be the foster parents. Mm. And it's, it's amazing it's perspective. Been mm-hmm. a gift. I think well, that that trip done then changed kind of our lives together, which is when we started to be part of Christ Renews' parish and Christ Renews' family and living with, you know, spending a lot of time with those families and those children. So a lot of our kids had some really good family friends and role models and, and, and just close friends of themselves growing up in that next six to eight years. Uh, and that's that journey and that conversion, reversion is what really started us to be members of the parish and start to learn a little bit about the faith that we may have known the rules for but didn't really know yeah. the why and the core of. So that was I, the big I think, change. I think that was one of the key things is we really didn't know our faith. Now, obviously, we'd been practicing our faith in terms of going to Mass every week, so I can't say we didn't know anything because you obviously can glean quite a bit. You know, mm-hmm. when when Catholics will say, well, I don't know Scripture, I'm like, well, if you've been going to Mass, you know Scripture because you hear it at every Mass. So, but we... I think the big thing was we didn't know the why. We grew up in a time of, you know, that post-Vatican II where there was just some confusion. Mm-hmm. And truth was not something that was explained, at least not where, not where we were. So, um, you know, I was invited to a, a Bible study with um, just a beautiful group of women. Um, most of them were a little bit older than I was at the time, so their children were probably into high school, and I just would hang on their every word, mm. and they were mentors, mm. and still, you know, some that I still see today that just are, they continue to be role models for me. And then we both did Christ Renews' Parish, which was, um, for so many people, that, mm. that's been a catalyst for growth in faith, mm-hmm. and um, got involved in our parish communities, uh, there was a spinoff from Christ Renews' Parish, Christ Renews' Family, that Hal mentioned that we participated in for about seven years. So our children were able to gather with other families. We would do, you know, rosaries, uh, uh, Sunday evenings, we'd do a potluck and people would come and and um, very similar to what, what you do for your, mm. your gatherings. and uh, I think that also started that education piece. So we, would, mm. we went to Steubenville, right? We, mm. we defending, did defending the faith, the faith at Steubenville, and, and, and then you started taking the, the school kids a bit later than that, but yeah. going back to that. But that just that created the hunger, created some basis of knowledge and learning, and started us into that until you officially got into the whole Catholic learning process, which— well, more I, of your, your vein than mine. I'm, can, can I pause you a second? Yeah. It's just a beautiful story, folks. You're tuning into Ignite Radio Live, and we're hearing just the real story of Hal and Kelly Reed sharing their history and a powerful moment into their marriage, 11 years. Certainly faith woven in there somewhere, but uh, Kelly expressing didn't want to be this holy roller and spoke of going on this pilgrimage and went to this place called Medjugorje. And uh, by the way, folks, you heard her say at the powerful moment, Many other things I'm sure are wonderful, but she speaks of going to confession. You don't need to spend a couple thousand dollars and go over the ocean to go to confession <laughs> and have this powerful experience, folks. And what a wonderful thing that the Spirit, I love how you describe, it was more than often maybe what Catholics experience of rote, going through the motions, because it's so accessible to us. And something moved in your heart to take it seriously and to really bring uh, those sins. And you felt reconciliation. You felt that restoration. I'm really moved by that, Kelly. And I get the sense, and maybe if you could maybe speak into this, you know, 
I like to use the word maybe a lens, how you looked at the world in a different way. From that point onward, were you thinking differently maybe about your marriage after that? Were you thinking differently? I know the ethical things you're describing, being open to life, etc., and I get that. But was there a different way of, of looking at things? And I'm thinking in particular, you said, of expressed a concern. You didn't want to be regarded as a holy roller. But through the door of that encounter with Christ in the confessional, your whole world changed in a sense. And it was no longer feeling outside the doors and it looking a little freakish, those people who know their faith and are studying and learning, but very natural and organic, like something moved you to now with a hunger and a desire to pursue that. What was that like? Well, what, what it really was for me was for the very first time in my life, I met my God. Mm. I really did. Um, you know, I, I was always so afraid of God and felt like I had to earn, you know, earn his love, earn salvation, all of that. So the Blessed Mother very gently led me to this place. And again, like you say, people don't have to go there to experience God's love or his healing in the sacrament of reconciliation. But for some reason, he called me to do all that. Hmm. And um, I just, I remember just feeling, feeling this incredible love that I hadn't, that I hadn't experienced from God before. Mm. And um, changed everything. When I went to Mass the next morning, um, before we got on the bus to leave the town, I, I remember just kind of sitting there and just taking it all in. It was a new lens. It was, it was really listening to the words of the Mass, realizing that Jesus is really there in the Eucharist, that he loves us so much that he would give himself to us so intimately. And it just lit a fire in my heart. And I just wanted to proclaim the good news everywhere I went. So I was a Jesus freak and a holy roller <laughs> after that. I really was. That's but, awesome. um, you know, and, and credit to the people who listened to me because <laughs> everybody was willing to, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what they said when I would leave the room, but <laughs> but so many people just were so appreciative of the story and could kind of experience it vicariously maybe mm. through me. And, and grateful to this guy here because Hal was – he was so open. And when I came home and kind of dropped the bomb on him, so to speak, our lives were going to be completely different – I just knew that the Holy Spirit had been working on him, too, because Mm -hmm. he not only went along with it, but he embraced it. And it was something that we did together. And, I mean, even today. That's grace right there. It it is. It is. And and his – I look at him as this spiritual giant in my life now because he just has – he has grown in so many ways. And I see him living his faith – just every day in his encounters with people and what he's doing, and it inspires me. So, it, I mean, in terms of how it impacted our marriage, yes, definitely. We, I think it solidified us more as a, as a couple for Christ, if mm-hmm. I could say that. I love that image. But when, we, when I learned about, really started learning about theology of the body, that's what changed the whole dynamic of our mm. marriage. Mm. I mean, that, that really transformed it. I want to go there in just a moment. But, Hal, so people listening right now, usually it's the woman of the home that is typically more eager to live the faith, more sensitive, we know. 
historically. It's the women who went to the cross. Not always the case, but women. And men have their concerns, reservations, doubts. And I know it can go opposite ways. But that's an amazing thing, as you say, Kelly, that, Hal, you were receptive and you were ready. You knew that the truth was there, and she kind of animated that. But just in a word, what might you say right now to any who are listening, men, that uh, who have wives, perhaps, that have whether they inherited this, lived, had it their whole lives, are bringing to them, uh, if you will, a desire to live this challenging teaching of both, you know, about the church's teaching of life and also the faith, and maybe there's resistance. Do you have any thoughts about that? I'm putting you on the spot, I know. That's okay. Um, I guess I would, I would say two things. Um, first, I would just suggest very prayerfully to make sure, as a guy, you have time to look back and see the things you do each day and see the impact you have on people and see what that could have been. As I, as I said, mm. we always were brought up to know what was right, but we always were brought up to know how to do it better, too, because mm. you could look at the end of a day. It wasn't the examine of conscience like it really was, but it was to look at your day and see, what did you do, but what could you have done better, and what do you need to do better tomorrow? Always, mm. every day. And so to to tell somebody to, to, to have that perspective and then in that perspective listen to what you're told. I mean, yeah, I, I had a, a job where I was leading a, a large group of people and did a lot of things like that. But I'm a really good follower. I am a really good follower uh, when I have a good understanding of why I'm following. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so just um, – and, and even if you just do that second piece to listen to your wife and to, to accept that and to follow a little bit as opposed to lead, even if you just do that out of respect for the, the, the your marriage and your time together, um, even if that's how you have to get to part of it, that's just fine for a while. Make it your own if you can, but having that respect to be able to listen and to follow. I, I've told mm-hmm. Kelly that you know it's pretty simple to me that God gave her to me so that he would have a chance to keep me. Because I knew it was right, but I don't really know that I would have followed it if I'd have been led some different way. So, well, that's so beautiful. So, um, moving along because there's so much to capture here yet, and maybe we'll have to have you on again. But of course, Kelly, when we came to town, you were known, and certainly Hal, as one who was speaking so authentically and clearly about this teaching that we call theology of the body. So, share with us how you became acquainted with that, and. Um, why is it significant? Why is it important? <laughs> wow. Um, I have a former student, um, and I remember uh, crossing paths with her many years ago, and she said, oh, have you heard of Theology of the Body? I'm like, no. <laughs> and she handed me this 600-page book. She goes, you have to read this. And I'm like... I'm not going to <laughs> because I don't, know, I don't have time and I'm not a philosopher. And um, God bless John Paul. He's an amazing philosopher. Mm. Um, but that I started all of a sudden hearing things about this theology of the body and then came across Christopher West mm. and had an opportunity to hear him. Um, and that just lit the fire. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get a hold of this. And it was what year, roughly, sort of. This was, oh my goodness, 
was probably 2002, okay. maybe. 16 years ago. Yeah. And um, so I started to just really educate myself, listen as much as I could, read as much as I could. And it was sort of like opening this beautiful Christmas present. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. I shared it with Hal and... I, it it was just amazing, and I was I was teaching high school at the time, and I wanted to um, develop a course in this because I saw there is such a need these young people to they they need this now they need the truth so they can be armed to understand why God made us in the first place why did He create us male and female I mean really what theology of the body does it is it all about the human person and why God made us that way and um, that our goal is God, our goal is heaven, that we all desire love. Fundamentally, that's because we all desire God, who is perfect love. Uh, So I had an opportunity to put a class together and the kids just ate it up. Um, It just resonates and it resonates with anybody that hears about it because it's truth. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that. So um, I was very blessed to be able to to teach that in um, at the high school level, and I found that it was it was very challenging because while my students really I, I could just see it in their faces and the light bulbs going off, but fighting a culture that was just getting harder and harder and harder to speak this truth and to talk about sexual integrity. And that they are all worth waiting for, and um, and in the midst of all that, explaining all the sexual morality of the church uh, was really challenging, but it was also very life giving. That's awesome. So at this time, it's also in your home. Jennifer, if my calculation is correct, is in her upper teens, mm-hmm. and your youngest now at this point, all eight. Yes. Okay. So. Um, Hal, and what, what was your insight as how this was affecting Kelly, and how is it making its way into the Reed household, and how are your kids, who are part of that culture, interacting with this? Yeah, the kids um, the kids had been, at this point in time, kind of bludgeoned by seven, <laughs> eight, or nine years of rosaries and conferences. <laughs> and so, so they were, they were a bit, they were a bit softened up to Sacred all this. Yes. But when, when your mom starts standing in front of your friends or your girlfriends or your potential girlfriends and and is is their authority in the world on sex and about every aspect of morality that they might bring up in class because it didn't matter she would be happy to have the conversation so uh and and the boys would get probably used as good bad examples and they never would probably date any of the girls that went to school in kelly's class because they just knew what they were up against so but it you know they, they got used to it very quickly they really did and it was it was just part of the household mm. as it still is today and they all mm. understand that so mm. um they 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 learn to grow with it pretty well so there's really not a topic that's taboo yes maybe yeah. there should be, yeah, maybe <laughs> but, should um, be. there's a key point oh, here though so that i good. think is good for our listeners to hear and that is communication mm-hmm. and openness to the difficult things the edgy things the controversial things and doing it as best as you can it's clumsy it can be awkward um Maybe women have an easier time, maybe not. Sometimes men have an easier time. But I'm hearing you say that that you 
had an anointing and a grace, first of all, knowledge, you educated yourself, but that you initiated and opened the door. So it's not simply passing along an ethical, you know, robotic program that you want them to follow. It was relational, I'm sure, to have these conversations in your home and to talk about these things. Um, Were they, so you said, I know, teasing, bludgeoned or whatever, but, you know, how would they describe, maybe only they know, but how would they describe about that atmosphere of communication in your home about these things as far as openness to them? I mean, obviously, at some point, they're wanting to own it, and they got to own it apart from mom and dad and that sort of thing. I don't know, maybe I'm asking also for advice for those with teenagers. You know, give us insight to that dynamic of them owning it. Well, I I certainly can appreciate um, parents that may not feel comfortable talking about these kinds of topics with their kids. Um, But I think our children would say that they knew that they could ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And and really, that's the key because they want to know why. And we never were told why. Of course, we never really took on the responsibility to find out why either. But it makes such a difference um, because they have to have an informed conscience. And they have to make these decisions in the, in the world that we live in. So they've got to be able to look at different issues and all the different perspectives of that issue as they discern it. Um, and ultimately inform their conscience. And I'm a firm believer that the truth will speak for itself. Mm -hmm. So I'm not afraid of opposing views. I'm not. And I don't want my children to be afraid of it either, or my students. And so I would always try to encourage them, ask the tough questions, educate yourself. Don't Mm -hmm. just stop as soon as you disagree with someone. And so in terms of advice for people today, I would say, number one, we all need to just continue to educate ourselves as much as we can. to parent teenagers, and you have to you have to know your child, I guess. Um, some of them would completely freak out if all of a sudden you said, "Okay, well, we're going to have a conversation about X, Y, Z." So it's it's where are you in that relationship in terms of your communication? But I think sometimes just asking them, say, you know, tell me about tell me about your friends, tell me about the issues that your friends are dealing with, because maybe they don't want to talk about themselves, but they might talk about their friends, and um, it's. That We just need to do that. We need mm-hmm. to help save these kids. These kids mm-hmm. want to be good. They want to be good. They want to be loved. They, you know, they want to be accepted. Um, and I have, I have had students sitting in my classroom. Sometimes these beautiful young women would just have tears coming down their cheeks. I'll never forget a couple instances where that was going on. And, of course, then I'm thinking, well, what have I said? And after class, I would kind of pull them aside and say, well, are you okay? Did, mm-hmm. did I say something that upset you? And I'll never forget this one girl said to me, she goes, nobody's ever told me that before, mm. wow. that, that I'm that loved, wow. that I'm worth waiting mm-hmm. for. And, um, you know, so I think we just need to reassure our youth, our children, our grandchildren, that they are so loved. Mm-hmm. They're loved by us. They're loved by God. And you know, there's an agenda out there that's going to try to steal them from God, that's going to try to create doubt in their mind and make them feel bad about themselves. I mean, social media, oh, my gosh, right. you know. Yeah. Um, so we just we need to communicate. That's the main thing. And pray. Never stop praying. Mm. One, I remember at this Bible study that I went to originally, one of these women said that she prays for her children's future spouses every day. And I thought, my gosh, I've never heard of that, mm-hmm. but started doing it. And I'm telling you what, we have been 
So blessed. Our children have just picked great life partners. Their spouses are an answer to prayer. They really are so far, and I'm sure trusting God that that will continue. Amen. That's so moving, and I think for all of us to be attuned to the difficult things and to really take steps in faith and know we're going to stumble a little bit, lean into it, understand our children, as you said, um, to communicate the difficult truths, even back when the woman, I assume, uh, shared with you about contraception, you said, you know, a little offended and put apart, but it planted a seed. Now we can do that appropriately, inappropriately or whatever, but that stuck with you. We never know that. We never know. Uh, I hear you saying with love, well, what is love? It's, it's having the heart of the Father for another person genuinely, not to win a battle or to prove a right or, you know, that we're all on this journey. I think that self-effacing thing. In fact, I think you, both of you sharing your story is powerful because, um, I don't know, I think too often people look at the Catholic Church and they think maybe that because we profess it or go that we have attained these things. Uh, even if physically our heart's there, the Beatitudes, that's a great challenge. So with a little time that we have here, I'm going to ask you maybe a little a bit of an even more difficult question. Um, because your parents and your grandparents and you're in this community and you have a heart of love for our church, you have a heart of love for our awesome bishop and our priests who are, are, are so marvelous and, and in this area in particular, this diocese, there's something special about this diocese. And we're facing together in this culture um, challenges, I think, punctuated by the Vigano things with the Pope and all of that, um, punctuated by the Kavanaugh hearings, that political thing. There's spiritual realities playing out here, and there's confusion. So as best as you guys might communicate to us who are younger than you and those listening, what are some of the challenges right now in this moment in history to those in our audience who are Catholic and desiring to... Uh, the instruments of the kingdom. What are some of our challenges and encouragements you might give us to recognize how important this moment is and to lean into it? Do you want to go first? Oh, sure. That isn't that easy? So you can think a little bit. I'll do that. Um, you know, obviously, there's been trials and tribulations for the church in all of history, um, and in in my opinion, uh, as we talked about briefly, probably the very first thing. Is, is an education process, right? To really understand what's at the heart of the church, to really understand what the church teaches, uh, and to understand that everybody that's here that's in the church is a human being and is flawed, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we don't go to Mass because of a homily. We don't go to Mass because of the, the music. We don't go to Mass. We go to Mass because of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's the core and center of what the faith is all about. And yes, we have to be honest, and yes, we have to know the facts, and yes, we have to do all those things that are right. And then when we do find these things or know these things, then we have to act accordingly. All right, so this is, this is at a point in time where everything has to be open and honest, and all the, all the facts and all the communication and all those things have to be on the table for everyone to see and for the church to, to, to look at and say, yes, we've, we've done wrong. We've done wrong at, at whatever point in time in history, but we're gonna, we, we understand that and we are going to fix what we do. I think that a lot of things have be, begun to be fixed many years in the past. You look at some of the great men that are in the seminaries today and some of the great young priests we have, that's, that's just a breath of fresh air. So we love those kind of things. But it, it is. It's, it's, 
um, it, it, we don't stand by any one individual, any one human being. We, ha- we have to understand why we are part of the church and why we love the church and what is at the core of it. And then we just have to, as I would always say, have to do the right thing. As mm-hmm. soon as you see and know or learn, you do the right thing, and then you don't ever have to cover your tracks and you never have to apologize. So, you know, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard pill for many people to take, but it's also an excuse for some mm-hmm. people to use that may not be want to be fully convicted. But... Um, it's not easy. Great words, Hal. Kelly? I think it's um, really easy to become discouraged in mm. this this culture, everything going on just in our country, in the church. Um, but we're called to be a people of hope. Mm. And um, I think I, I've been actually reflecting on this lately because it's really easy for me to get caught up in, in the news cycle and, and all of that. And and I And I think sometimes we feel like, what can we do? What can one person do to go out and fix the world? It's such a mess. Well, the world's always been a mess, and God knows that. And I think that we're just simply called to be who we are, where we are. Um, and in the the everyday things that we do, the encounters that we have, if we can put our head on the pillow at night and think, you know what, I did a good thing today, mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, that maybe I, I made somebody else's life a little bit better or that I, I truly did God's will, because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what it is, right, is, is knowing, accepting, and doing God's will. Um, just in our, in our little corner of the world, sometimes we're called to other things, to other communities where we can, you know, share that. And I do think that's important to surround ourselves with um, people who are like-minded, who we can pray together, um, we can do things together. So. You tune in to Ignite Radio Live, wrapping it up here. Very blessed in this past hour by the wisdom and heart and honesty of Hal and Kelly Reed. And just to be educated, I hear Hal saying, and uh, to act on it, and Kelly to have hope. And together for us to really speak the words of Christ, to declare them, because he is the one who conquered and conquers. So let's close tonight in prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, you fashioned us in your image for your indwelling spirit. We receive you right now. Transform us, heal us, anoint us to the point of overflow to the world around us for your glory. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen.